An estimated 14 to 30 percent of U.S. veterans suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. And there is a research project in New York that is helping vets in a unique and powerful way. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. I am joined today by Dr. Prudence Fisher, who is an associate professor of clinical psychiatric social work at Columbia University Irving Medical Center in New York and co-principal investigator of the Man of War Project. Dr. Fisher, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Tell us what the Man of War Project is. Well, the Man of War Project is, is a research project that we're doing right now. Um, we're, again, we're at Columbia um, Irving Medical Center, but we're actually carrying out the project at Bergen County Equestrian Center. Um, so what it is is the purpose of the project is to look at the use of equine-assisted therapy for helping veterans who suffer from PTSD. And tell us what PTSD is, for those who are not quite sure. Basically, PTSD, or post-traumatic stress disorder, um, the way we see it is it's a fear-based disorder. And to have PTSD, somebody has to have experienced or witnessed a traumatic event where they are exposed to actual or threatened death or serious injury or sexual violence. Then following that exposure to a traumatic event, they have symptoms in a number of different areas. Some of them are re-experiencing symptoms, you know, like flashbacks, thinking about it, suddenly getting into your mind when you don't want it to, avoidance, avoidance of reminders, avoidance of situations which make you feel the same way you felt, or sort of negative alterations in your mood or cognitions, um, being angry, being depressed, feeling um, you know not right, being con- dis- feeling disconnected from other people, and, and then there's some symptoms of hyperarousal, um, sort of all, always being on edge, being on the lookout for danger, sort of being hyped up. So you have these symptoms, and on top of that, so you have to have symptoms in these four different areas. And then on top of that, you have to have significant impairment in major spheres of your life with getting along with people or occupation or being distressed about how you're feeling. So it's basically a trauma followed by significant symptoms that, you know, came after the trauma or if you've had them before, they've gotten worse and having impairment in, in your life. Now, you are focusing on uh, U.S. vets who are experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder. Does every U.S. vet have PTSD? No, no. It's estimated, like, well, I think what you said at the beginning of the program, about 14 to 30% of veterans are estimated to to suffer from PTSD. Now, a lot of times people have been exposed to trauma and they suffer from other things. They could be depressed or they could have PTSD and be depressed. But not every every person who is exposed to trauma will develop PTSD. Okay. 
You, you make the specific point that the Columbia University's project is independent of the Veterans Administration and that no information will go to the Veterans Administration. Why is that important? Well, it, we're independent it, it, you know, in the same way any kind of – it's a research project. And so in any kind of research project, you go through an institutional review board, and they're very concerned about confidentiality and protecting, you know, people's confidentiality and safety, frankly. Um, we're, we're independent because we're, you know, we're a university. We're not running it out of the Veterans Administration. That doesn't mean that we haven't had people in our study who are also getting services at the VA, but they don't have to be connected to the VA. The other thing is some veterans don't seek services at the VA and other veterans are not eligible for services at the VA. So it's just, it, you know, we're a university, not part of, part of the Veterans Administration, although um, we do have, not this project, but we do have some projects that we are doing in collaboration with the Veterans Administration, it's just not this project. You said that the um, actual um, study operates out of uh, Bergen County. Is that New Jersey? Yeah. yeah. And, and tell us about the actual study. Tell us about why horses are a part of this study. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's sort of interesting. I mean, frankly, before we were working on this study, um, we, you know, we hadn't, we really hadn't done anything with horses or with animals, frankly. Uh, we started doing this study because we were approached by somebody who was interested in seeing if horses could be used because there are a lot of equine therapy programs around. Indeed, if you go on the web and just type in equine therapy, um, there are programs in every single state. Um, but you know, so we, so the the donor Earl Mack, who came to us, is very interested in this, and could it be used to help veterans? And you know, we're a, a department of psychiatry, and we hadn't sort of looked into this before. And so our first step was to find out more about it, and what what actually equine therapy typically was, and what people were doing. And the first thing we found was that there are a lot of programs. And they all do different things, that there wasn't any kind of systematic way of doing equine therapy. There wasn't a manual to tell you how to do it. And so after do and actually the, the little research that there was on it had problems in it. There wasn't a lot of research on it, but some of the research that there was had some methodological problems, et cetera. Um, but at the same time, from visiting some programs, we, came pre we, we became pretty intrigued with the idea. Um, and part of the reason is that there was a need for more treatment for PTSD, because even though people, there are some good treatments around, uh, some of them aren't acceptable to people. There's a high dropout rate. Not every treatment works for every person. Um, so there was room for some innovative treatments or some adjunctive treatments. Now, I, getting back to your question, I will say <laughs> the most frequently asked question we got asked by colleagues, frankly, um, 
because, you know, when we first told people we're going to do things with horses, they looked at us, at least people around here in our department, like, what are you doing? (laughs) Uh, And they said, well, why not dogs, you know? Um, And basically the thinking behind that is that equine therapy is about treatment, um, not about symptom management. Often dogs are used to help people manage symptoms they have and to provide support, but not to actually rid the person of symptoms. So used, often they're used in a more supportive role. Now, as we've learned more about it, because we've been working on this project for almost four years, although we were working on it not very much in the beginning, there are special characteristics of horses that make them really good. I mean, first of all, horses are prey animals, right? They're, you know, they eat grass, they they have predators who want to eat them. And so by nature, they're naturally skittish, fearful, and hypervigilant, which is very similar to somebody who has PTSD. Hypervigilance is one of the sort of the key symptoms people think about, sort of being on the lookout. And when you look at a horse, you see where their eyes are, right? Like they're sort of to the side, like they're always sort of scanning their environment. Um, They're also herd animals and sort of naturally social. They desire contact. Um, They, you know, if you're standing there, they'll walk over to you eventually. So they're social. They're very in the moment and non-judgmental. And they're big, you know, they're not like, you know, when they react, you can really see it. So in a lot of ways, they're like big mirrors, right? So not only are they large where they can cause fear and have somebody sort of be sort of anxious around them, they will actually reflect how the person's like acting. Um, and so there are a lot of reasons why they're very good for this. Um, The other thing I should say about our program, two things. First of all, it's called the Man of War Project. And part of that was because Man of War being a great racehorse and our donor being very into um, racehorses, et cetera, and a beautiful horse. But we also have a lot of women who have been treated, because you have women veterans as well. Um, So it's not a project that's confined to men. Um, that that's actually very awesome. that's very good to know. I was about to ask you that. Let me interrupt you. We we need to take a break, but we will be right back and listen to more of the fascinating work you you folks are doing.
Dr. Fisher, uh, you were telling us that the Man of War Project was actually named after a horse, um, which I think is certainly very fitting, and that it includes work with women. What else did you want to share with us about the project itself? Well, the, the project, when people hear equine-assisted or equine therapy, um, they're saying, oh, are they riding horses? Like, what are you doing? This is a non-riding program. Um, and early on, because there's no standard way of doing it, we had to make certain decisions about it. So how it looks now is there's no riding. Part of that had to do with safety concerns, right, because people can fall off horses and hurt themselves. And we're, we are not riding instructors. Um, but also because the nature of the relationship with the horse is different um, if you're, like, on their level, Right. And also, most riding programs are focusing on physical benefits, um, although people can have psychological benefits from riding. But most of most of the equines used in um, riding typically do physical benefits. It's also a group treatment, and so we have groups. They can be three to six veterans. Um, basically, we typically have around four. Um, and we made a group treatment decision because it had to do with one thing, cost. Um, and also you can, in a group treatment, you can take advantage of having members of the group. We also, um, and this is one way we might differ from some of the other equine programs you see around, it's, we've set it up like you would set up a, you know, a regular psychotherapy treatment, group treatment program, which is, you have weekly sessions, um, and we so because there's a lot going on, we have 90-minute weekly sessions. And so people, it's not like you take people away for the weekend and do something and then they come back. Or it's, you know, they still live in their, wherever they live, in their houses or wherever, because some of them actually don't have houses. Um and then they will come, say, on Monday evening, and then they'll come the next Monday. So they're still living in their same environment with the same people in their same life, but they're coming for a weekly treatment session. Um, and so things will happen between sessions that they might talk about in the next session. Um, and we also use a team approach where we have – a licensed mental health professional, um, an equine specialist, so somebody who's exper very experienced with the horse, and then um, we actually have an extra person in, in the ring because we are concerned about safety because people could get kicked or, you know, whatever, um, because horses are animals. Oh, and we have two horses, so and we keep the same two horses for all the sessions. So... Basically, people come for eight weeks, once a week, for about 90 minutes. They see the same team, including the horses, the same other participants. Um, that's what it looks like. In terms of, because it's a research study, um, before people enter the program, they come to our offices at the medical center, and they undergo an evaluation by a faculty member or staff here to see if they meet the inclusion criteria of, you know, they have full-blown PTSD. 
Um, because often people think they have PTSD, but they don't meet all the criteria, and we're doing a research study, so they have to meet all the criteria. And they also have to be physically fit enough to spend 90 minutes in a round, you know, a pen with a horse and a group, which means they have to be able to walk around and stand up. Um, we have had a couple of veterans who have a cane so they can walk with assistance, and that's been okay. And so they don't have to be real athletes, but they have to be physically fit enough to handle being able to walk and lead a horse around, et cetera. Um, we start – oh, and before each session, they fill out some research forms and at the end – now they, you know, as I said, they come to our offices to be evaluated before they start. We fill out sort of the state-of-the-art measures that you fill out in any study that is done, any kind of of a new therapy um, in psychiatry. And then halfway through, after week four, they come back and they do the, they are reevaluated to see if they're getting better or worse. Um, and then at the end of the session, at after week eight, they come back and they're reevaluated again. And then we are following people up three months later to see how, how they're doing. So the evaluations all take place at our office, but the actual treatment sessions are at the equestrian center. So the evaluations take place in New York, and the yeah. equestrian center is in New Jersey, so not, not far apart. Um, no, it's actually 10 minutes, or 10 to 15 minutes, depending on the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> and I do understand depending on the bridge, but that's another conversation. Yes. Um, the, when you say you're looking to see if they're getting better or worse, what constitutes better um, in terms of the study? What behaviors are different in a positive way? Well, the things that we're measuring, like our primary measures, are the severity of PTSD symptoms. Okay. So we use a, a standard clinician-rated measure that looks at severity of symptoms. We also use a clinician-completed measure of symptoms of depression. And be, but not everybody's depressed, but a lot, actually, frankly, a lot of people actually do have a lot of depression as well. Mm-hmm. And so we, we do that you know, at baseline, halfway through, and then at the end. And, you know, we, so far, our preliminary data shows that, you know, people are getting a lot better. Now, it is an open trial, right? So everybody gets the treatment. Um, For a state-of-the-art, being able to say this is truly an evidence-based treatment, the next step would be doing a randomized controlled trial, in terms of typical, you know, intervention development. Um, but you're not going to do a randomized controlled trial until you have a pretty strong signal from an open trial that this is worth the money and time and expense of doing a randomized controlled trial. Understood. So, but we're also, um, what we, the, the other thing which you've added fairly recently um, we've done this so far with, I think, 11 people, is we're doing MRIs before and after, you know, before before they start the trial and at the end. We haven't analyzed that data yet, but what we're hoping is that it will show some changes in connectivity 
between different brain regions, which is what we would expect. Gotcha. So we've added that in, but we're right now, I mean, the main results will be based on the clinical measures. Dr. Prudence Fisher, who is with the Man of War Project, uh, we will take a break and we will be back in just a moment. <laughs> Fisher, um, you, as I indicated earlier, are uh, a co-principal investigator for this project, and you also talked about funding, and certainly funding is always an issue. Can you tell us very briefly in the few moments we have left about the Bar Amendment and its impact on your work? The Bar Amendment was the amendment that was adding money into the adaptive sports program is that yes that's what you're talking about right well the adaptive sports program from what i understand uh will be getting additional funding for the use of equine therapy um to help he veterans and my, my reading is of it was the the equine i guess equine assisted therapy to help veterans with significant mental health problems i, I don't think it it doesn't specify that they necessarily have to have ptsd um, and but you know it's it's putting sort of you know it's it's letting more funding go towards um, equine you know equine assisted therapy i i think probably you know, one of the problems that people who have been doing equine assisted therapy, because again, I said there are a lot of programs around, is that often um, a lot of these programs are funded through philanthropy, and you know, it's often hard to get funding because there's not any sort of outcome research that has been shown that what they're doing is actually having an impact. I mean, I think our study will help with that. Um, one of the things that we we have found is that people really like these kinds of programs, so they tend not to drop out of them. Um, and, I mean, I, I imagine that our study will end up supporting some, uh, some people's applications for funding. It is, I, I'm not sure what else to say about that. Um, you know, I think just the fact that um, there is a looking at directing funds specifically uh, to do the um, the research for equine assisted therapy is huge. Uh, 
because it says yeah. so, so much about the potential value of equine assisted therapy. Dr. Fisher, can I you... mean, I, I, I will say that one way that our that this this kind of therapy is very different than standard treatments for PTSD because you know basically the standard treatment for PTSD involves some sort of exposure therapy or cognitive restructuring of a traumatic event and and what we're doing um is that we don't have there's not we don't have an exposure component and instead of talking about what happened to you and sort of sort of reprocessing and getting used to it and sort of, you know, adapting to what happened, basically the focus of our program is what you're doing is you're learning through engagement with the horse um, to sort of become more aware of how to regulate emotions, to improve communication, to have feelings of self-efficacy, um, and, you know, be aware of how you're coming across and how you're responding to other people. So it's addressing a lot of things that people have problems with, but not necessarily talking. In fact, it's not talking about the trauma itself. It's sort of addressing the kinds of things that cause people with PTSD to have, have you know, have problems. And, you know, there has been some research that, like with interpersonal therapy, that you don't have to focus just on the trauma to see significant impact on people's outcomes. Dr. Fisher, what you're doing is so, um, it, it seems so important and so exciting. Uh, how does one get more information about the work that you're doing? Well, we have a website, um, and it's www.mowproject.org. Um, we are hoping to finish the research study, um, you know, in the fall, but we're hoping to, in fact, we've applied for some, some funding uh, to continue the project and continue, treat, you know, providing it for veterans, and, you know, afterwards if we're successful in our application. Um, the other thing we're interested in doing is, um, and actually there's been a lot of interest from other people, is expanding the use of our manual because to test a, ther a therapy, you have to define it. So we have a very nice, well-specified treatment manual that we would like to be able to train others in how to use it to see if it's, you know, if other people can use the same method and get the same kind of results that we're getting. So there are lots of reasons for folks to actually be in touch to get more information. Uh, and again, that website is info at mowproject.org, yes? Yes. All okay. right. Thank you very much, Dr. Fisher, for the work that you're doing and also for the time you've been able to share with us today. Thank you. And okay. folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service, and it is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a mental health, medical health, or other professional. You can listen on demand at mindtalk.org. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. If you'd like to be in touch with me, that email address is Pamela, P A M E L A, at mindtalk.org. Again, that's M Y N D. T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. You take care.
Thank you. 